From Hong Kong, Chicago and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 127. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello. Hello, Perry. Hello. Right. First of all, I just want to say thank you to Lyndon Booth of Londinium Cameras, who was with us last week and was great value. Um, I say great value, uh, we don't pay anybody, so uh, everybody's great value, but we really enjoyed having Lyndon with us. Uh, so uh, thanks for being a great guest last week, Lyndon. Um, right, so let's, seeing that we haven't actually spoke about what, in particular, what Perry's been up to for, for a couple of weeks, um, I'm going to ask that, uh, the, the usual question, what have you bought this week, Perry? <laughs> uh, what, I don't, it's only Monday, so I haven't, I haven't bought anything this week other than film. Um, but we have what it's been, we've had two weeks of guests. Uh, so since our last, uh, Rolleiflex love in, I have acquired, uh, at least one Rolleiflex, um, 2.8. And I have been, yeah, I've been shooting pretty much. Well, I was going to say, I've been shooting on, you've, you've, you've got at least one. Rolly yeah. flex. You've, you've, you've. What does that mean? You've, you've picked up at least one Rolly flex. That means I have picked up at least one Rolly flex. I had zero. Well, I had that. I had that busted one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So there was. There's. There's. There's a story there, isn't there? And, and then I ordered a uh, 2.8 E2 from Jimmy Co in the states, which I think I mentioned uh, last time. Um, that took its sweet time in the mail. It was faster than everything else I ordered last month. Uh, but in the meantime, while that was on the way, I saw a local listing by a uh, local collector who was like the best kind of person to buy a lens, for, uh, a camera from privately because he was a collector, but he also used all of his cameras. So I saw that he had listed a 2.8D planar uh, for, you know, a very friendly price. And I was like, well, I mean, I could wait for the other one, the Zenitar, the E2 Zenitar to arrive in the mail, or I could get this one and have two and a backup. Uh, so so I went and checked it out, and, I mean, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's in, you know, collector condition. Um, it works perfectly, and th this guy showed me a bunch of pictures that he shot with it, so I know that it worked. And it was funny, because when I sat down with him, I told him about my screwed up 2.8 C Zenitar that we discussed uh, two or three weeks ago. And he basically said everything that Johnny said to me. He was like, oh, your pictures look weird. You know what that could be? It could be because your lens is decentered or um, the lens board is off, isn't aligned or your back is warped uh, or, you know, it took a knock. And I was like, yep, 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 yep. I know as yours doesn't have any of this, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> That one is like in spectacular condition. Even the focusing screen, which is often banged up on these, uh, is in like pristine shape. The only issues with it, which I really don't care about, uh, there's a little bit of coating wear on the edge of the lenses, which is, who cares? Um, there's not even cleaning marks. And the, uh, the sports finder, you know, there's a spring that like push it, pushes up the front of the sports finder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that doesn't, the spring is a little bit weak and it doesn't push it up 100% of the way. Um, so it, it sometimes at, at certain angles will flop down like, you know, two or three millimeters. So I just, I just put a piece of tape on. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's fine. 
So, yeah. Um, does that answer your question, Simon? Yes, thank you. Fully. What is the plural of Roloflex? Is it or is it Rolafly? <laughs> Roloflexi? Roliflexi? Roli. Roli. Yeah, so there we go. So I, I, I've, I've been shooting with it um, a lot. I mean, I've been posting a ton of photos. Yeah. Uh, shot with it. And, you know, the only other cameras I've shot in that time were... Um, I, I stupidly put a roll of film in my Texas Leica a couple of weeks ago. And I, I just had to go finish that because it was other, otherwise it was never going to get used. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've, I've been posting a ton of pictures and it's, it's, it's a hell of a shooting experience. I, I don't know what it is about this camera, but like the images I've been getting um, and the way I've been shooting with it are, I think like some of the best stuff I've shot at least this year. Yeah. Looks good. Yeah. Looks really good. And, and I mean, I've been trying to kind of figure out or articulate why this suits this kind of street shooting so much. But I mean, there's so many different factors. And one of them I find is with subjects. Um, you know, we've talked about using a waist level finder and how that puts you at ease. But earlier today, I was I had some free time. So for some unknown reason, I went back and I listened to uh, the episode that we did on contact Yashica lenses, uh, the super long one where Johnny left halfway to clean his house. And there was a conversation at the beginning of that episode, uh, Simon, where you were talking about, like, you were asking about whether shooting with a rangefinder and shooting with an SLR is like a different shooting experience and, and it pushes, whether it pushes me to shoot different stuff. And the answer was absolutely yes, because you know, one, you see the depth of field and the other one, it doesn't. And I think with the Roloflex, there's, I don't know. I mean, Johnny, you shot this camera a lot, right? Do, do you, do you find that you shoot differently with it? Oh yeah. You, you feel differently psychologically on, on not, not necessarily with landscapes and stuff, but specifically on the street shooting this thing. Oh, a- absolutely. Yeah. I mean, but between the square and uh, having to work kind of backwards and it's like, they're just, you know, just enough, they're just enough uh, departures from reality that it makes your brain function a little differently uh, in a good, in a good way for sure. Right. So, so I want to ask you about square composition in a bit, but the uh-huh. biggest thing for me just shooting was, um, the, you know, sometimes when you're shooting street photography, there, there are some people who are perfectly happy, for example, like just getting right at people's faces and stuff. And, I, I I still have a discomfort around that. Yeah. But with the Roloflex, other than you know looking down into the camera, I, I think that breaking of eye contact it just made such a huge difference yeah. in terms of how close I can get to the subject mm-hmm. um, and how much time I have to shoot. Because a lot of the times, even if I'm in the mood to get close to people with like a rangefinder, once I lift the camera and I point it in their face they react, right? People react or they, they cover right. their face or they look at you or they're like, what the hell are you doing? Whereas here, there have been times where I've literally been standing like a meter and a half away from someone and I'm like focusing on them, pointing the camera at them and they're just continuing to do what they're doing. Right. Whether it's like, you know, people in a market or someone eating his lunch on a staircase or a dude reading his newspaper. And, and I think there's just an element of what the hell is that thing you're holding that's like some old, you know, novelty camera and they ignore me. I get my time to take the shot. And uh, 
Yeah, I mean, that just, you know, as they say, who was it that said, if your, your photos aren't good enough, you're not close enough? Yeah. Who's that? I don't know. I can't remember. But somebody, like, I, somebody wise. <laughs> so I felt that really vividly shooting this. And even for the people who noticed or kind of knew what it was, um, I had at least three encounters in the last couple of weeks of people using the camera as a conversation starter. And for me, I would love to have more conversations with the people I shoot on the street, but my Chinese is, is not good enough. Um, so to have them kind of initiate conversations, like there was one guy who I was shooting in front of a market and he turned to me and he was like, yo, that Roloflex still works. That's awesome. And I was just kind of chatting with him about it while I was taking his photograph. Uh, similarly, there was another dude at a shop, the same thing. He was like, nice Roloflex as I was pointing at him. And probably the most satisfying was, um, you know, early morning we were in this park and there was this old guy sitting there reading a newspaper. And he started, my girlfriend was trying to take a candid photo of him from like uh, a couple of meters away. And then she sees me just chatting to him because he was saying, oh, wow, that's a Roloflex. I used to have one of those. That's super cool. And he was asking me about what film I was using. And then I, I asked him if I could take his portrait. And he, uh, you know, he, he pulled down his mask and he smiled. And then my girlfriend came and joined the conversation. And he kind of put his mask back on and was half talking to us and half going back to his newspaper. And that moment where he kind of stopped posing for me and went back to doing what he was doing, but still looking at me, that was like the expression I wanted when I pressed the shutter. And it was so satisfied with that image. So that was, uh, yeah, it was pretty it was a pretty uh, spectacular street shooting experience. And I'm just put, putting roll after roll through that. Uh, mostly of XP2, but I'm out of it now. And I've transitioned to HP5. Cool. And Johnny, you, you, you were asking me, you were, you were saying some stuff about XP2 on the Roloflex. Yeah. I, <laughs> I said it looks unnaturally sharp. <laughs> I think something along those lines. It looks it looks almost like digital. It's so clean, which is just a little bit a little bit disturbing to me. It's not bad. It's just weird. Yeah, I, I've had similar complaints even shooting on my roll of cord. I remember shooting a roll of Fuji, like one sixty Pro one sixty one NS, and getting the results back and thinking like, "What the hell? This looks digital." Yeah, well, yeah. right. Yeah, it's yeah, because. Funny. Because that, that film you use in your Minolta Riva panorama, right, to get smaller grain when you crop it in half. So when you have a yeah. six by six negative. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. It's like it looks like ultra high resolution or something. It's really weird. I mean, not not bad. It's just like it's kind of it's just it's just so different, you know. It's interesting you say that as well because there's. Um I noticed something, and I know which all these photographs that you're uh, you're talking about there, Perry, um, including those ones with the with, with the rolling core, because they jumped out at me as the same point. I had to like do a double take to realise, oh, they are shot on film. And there was um, Nasser Hussein, um, who uh, is going to be more familiar to listeners of the Sunny Sixteen podcast, but I've uh, met Nasser on a few occasions, and we uh, we we chat, and um, he's on Facebook and. I think he's on there is simply Oxford, and um, he does a lot of. Sh I mean, he's got he's probably got as many cameras as you are, Perry, actually. Um, mm. But um, but he's um, he he gets on the set of a TV show in the UK called Endeavour, and um, and that's set in the 
I'm guessing the 60s. I don't actually watch the programme, but I think it's a 60s show. And and he's he took some shots uh, with his RB, no, his RZ, uh, 6-7. And he was shooting colour. And I can't remember what film he was using. He might have been using portrait. I'm not, not, not too sure. Um, but I remember seeing the photographs and I was thinking... Oh, why didn't he use why didn't he use the film camera for that? He's got so many so many film cameras, you know, and he's a he's a film um, proponent, and uh, and I wonder why he hadn't done it. And I looked at the small print, and he, and he had he used his his, his RZ, and uh, exactly the same thing. You know, it was, that, it was that that level of being disturbed by the the incredible image quality of what I was looking at, and this was in color, yeah. um, as well, which um, you know I just thought they were just straight digital images. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can tell by the tonality that they're filmed, but in terms of, yeah, the, the crisp, the crispness, um, and the grain size, it, it, it does, it doesn't have that kind of, you know, 30 year old irradiated triax look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, jo- Johnny, you've mentioned in our conversations over the past couple of weeks, when we've been uh-huh. talking about the Roloflex, you've mentioned like, seeing in square or composing for square yeah and a couple of people have talked to me about this too and i've i've i i you know there's a few really interesting bits and pieces i've gleaned from these conversations mm-hmm. like the idea of you, you sent me a book some pages from a book about looking at a square is like adding to the sides rather than chopping yeah um but but i i still don't quite know what people mean when they talk about composing for square format differently uh versus a rectangular format yeah so uh that book i mentioned is um specifically uh, it's it's called a new guide to roly photography by fritz uh henley or heinley and he was a uh, kind of commercial slash travel photographer back in the day um and I, he probably knows shooting with the Roloflex better than anyone. So I really, I highly recommend picking that book up um, if you can find it. And he, he was a big proponent of um, the square format. And, and I think his advice was more or less just use the entire frame. Just, I mean, just frame, you know, based on the, everything in the square and don't frame for cropping after the fact, right? So it's kind of like that I always blabber on about uh, composing in panorama. It's kind of the same idea. Like you just take the the format that you're working with and and frame, you know, on the fly within the entire format, right? So you're not thinking about cropping afterwards. You're thinking about using the whole thing. So I, I always thought that that was really um good advice from him and you just a lot of times i i think you end up including a lot more sky or a lot more foreground than you might kind of normally mm-hmm. to to make things work in the square and i think it i think it just becomes second nature after a while and i i think the other thing i kind of mentioned about uh the roloflex was you start to see like this sweet spot where things you just know are going to work really well compositionally and I think it's mainly for things that are, you know, uh, 12, 12 to 30 ish feet away tend to square up really, really well. Um, you know, landscapes can get more challenging, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and super close up stuff can get, even with a, with a you know, with a uh, Roland R on for like portraits, 
you know, you're just doing a portrait, right? But there, there's kind of this in-between area where I think compositions get more challenging, but for things that tend to be a little bit closer, things would just kind of fall into place in the square really easily. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, you know, I, I think it's just use the entire square um, and, and compose for the whole thing. And, and to me, that's when it all kind of really falls into place for the Roly. So, okay. That, that's, that's interesting because when I was shooting kind of early, early test rolls and practice rolls, I definitely had shots where there was too much empty space on one side or the other. Right. Exactly. Um, but at the same time, you know, for example, we've talked about shooting Pano uh, and thinking about, for example, breaking the frame up into thirds. Or if you're shooting like six, four, five, you can get really nice kind of golden ratio relationships mm -hmm. um, between like the way that you put things within that frame shape. And so far, you know, I, I, I don't often consciously necessarily think of these rules when I'm shooting. But one thing I pay attention to when the frame is square, which is like pretty much every photograph these days. Sorry, when the frame is like, you know, has four straight edges, right? It's some kind of quadrilateral. Yeah. Um, I, I always think about putting things on the diagonals uh, because sometimes, for example, like you want to use a lot of negative space, right? And and so if you've got like a bunch of negative space and one, I don't know, apple or something, and like where are you going to put it? Um, I'll tend to put it along the diagonal, even if it's far in the corner. And so with a square, I'm thinking the same way of like putting points of interest along the diagonals, but like the diagonals in a square work really, really differently than the diagonals in a rectangular frame. Sure. Right? So... Yeah. Um, I mean, when you're shooting square, apart from kind of using the different parts of the frame, uh, are there any ways that you think about, like, placement of things within the frame? Like, you mentioned things in the past about, for example, you know, having one main subject being really important in yeah. the square format. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the same way that in a pano, for example, if you place things in, if you split the frame into three, it often works really, really well. Is there anything in a square that, that, you're finding works well because, okay, I'll give you an example. The, the picture of that dude um, who's sitting there reading the newspaper, like I composed that with his body basically being diagonal across the frame. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was fairly deliberate, but I'm still learning, obviously, different ways to see effective compositions or ways to stand or move, move the camera uh, in square. And, and if there's anything that I can kind of like open my mind to, that would be awesome because I'm going to keep shooting this a lot. <laughs> um I, I i i don't know i think this thing i think that thing about the single idea images is a really big one with the roloflex um it's i think it really rewards uncomplicated compositions in a certain way like mm -hmm. your eye kind of flows naturally through the image in this in a harmonious way um so i think I think just, I don't know. I, I think it's like uh, trying to keep in mind what's, what is the main subject in this photo or something like that. Like, like doing the most justice to the one thing that's important in the photo. Um, if that makes sense, I feel like things kind of fall into place um, when you know what the photo is really about, if that makes sense. It's sort of like, you know, the opposite of, wide angle street stuff where a lot of things you just kind of let them happen. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, the whole Gary Winogrand thing, like he just kind of let things play out. And that was the, the magic that he, 
I think that he made with his images is things just sort of like lots of things just sort of collided and happened to occur in the frame. And I think the Roly is kind of the opposite. And it's, I think it's part of the reason people like Vivian Meyer's stuff so much is they're all, they tend to be very, very fast reads. Like mm -hmm. in other words, you know exactly what the whole point of that picture is immediately. Right. right. And that, that combined with the other thing you said that people who haven't shot a TLR don't realize like how close you can get to people and how little attention people pay to you when you're not kind of staring through a camera at them eye to mm. eye. It really changes the whole dynamic with, you know, the way people react. So I think that's why people, that, it's funny. I think people who shoot a lot of photos don't find, well, this isn't really true, but I think some people think her photos are, are great, but they're not quite as amazing as people who aren't photographers think of her photos. Does that make sense? Like, it's like, if you, if you, if you've shot with a Roly and you've shot, you, you understand like why things work so well in a lot of her pictures. And it's not as, to me, it's not as surprising that they work well. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know. That's, that's my thought is like that, you know, it's just like, it's always about the essentials. Like what is the, the thing going on here? Mm -hmm. And then the framing to me kind of falls into place because you use all the space around that thing to make it work. Right. Like I, I was, um, so I've been shooting the, the, uh, four by four that I call it the Tom Sawyer's, the Sawyer's Mark four. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I hauled it out because I, I was, you know, Cheyenne with his article and, and it's a nice camera to use, but I was, I had put it aside because I thought mine wasn't working. Cause I thought that, that it wasn't advancing properly. And I think what was going on is the, um, uh, the first four frames or so on that camera, the counter doesn't like the number doesn't pull up fully centered in the kind of, kind of the wind. So I was thinking there was something wrong with the feeding. Anyway, I set it aside, pulled it back out after a couple months with the same roll of film in there and started shooting with it again. And it was just really cool to shoot, to shoot square again. But I had to kind of like shift my thinking back towards that. I'd been shooting so much, you know, large, uh, wide angle stuff. I had to really shift my thinking back towards that single subject way of looking at things um, and let the compositions fall back in place, you know, around that and just work with the space around the main subject, right? Until things just sort of looked right. And it, it took me a little bit of a brain shift, gear shift to, to be able to do that again. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's it, it's, it, but, it, but it, this, uh, at the same time, it's like one of those things you have to do and not be as consciously mindful of it. You just have to be like, kind of let it happen. Right. Uh -huh. Like you can't force it. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, sort of, sort of. I mean, it, it the, from, from a compositional point of view, I mean, from, from, from a shooting point of view, I totally get what you mean, especially when you're talking about like Vivian Meyer shots and, you know, the interesting thing about, about her images is she often talked about how, you know, she wasn't a sort of candid style street photographer. Right. And, and I think one of the things with shooting with the Rolleiflex that I noticed is it's, all, it's, it's almost impossible to not be noticed. But yeah. at the same time, it's very difficult to get people to care, like react in a way where they care, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, one of the lovely things about shooting the Rolleiflex, I'm grabbing it right now, is some of the weird movements that you can do with it. 
because I found that like shooting low is obviously very natural. Yeah. Um, But also, you know, turning because it's just a box, like turning it 90 degrees to the right and like shooting someone who's on my right, but not look, not facing them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Those are really, really natural uh, ways of shooting too. And, and because the shutter is so quiet, nobody notices. Yeah. Right. Right. But from a compositional point of view, so so I know Simon um, does not think that you know podcasts that describe photographs are are particularly effective. <laughs> um, but I, I want to ask you about two specific things that I was kind of struggling with um, from a compositional point of view, just because you know you have like six thousand Roloflexes and way more experience with this. Um, I, I just popped two links into our chat of uh, just to make it easy of some of those pictures I posted earlier. Um, and and I do have specific questions here. So the first one, uh, do you see the link? Yep. Yeah, so the first one, there's four pictures, right? And there's like a, a butcher in a shop. There's a, someone, you know, pushing a cart in a shadow, someone on the stairs. Those three images were really easy to compose because, as you say, there's like one main subject. And then, the you know, the butcher is framed by all of his meat, right? And then the the worker is framed by the buildings, the sitting down dude is framed by the stairs mm-hmm. but then there's this other shot of a guy with a bike and he's got like two propane tanks on his bike and there's another bike in the background with like some cool shadows on the wall and i really really struggled with how to compose this one and when i look at this image in hindsight i think to myself okay i should have tilted the camera lower so i would have gotten his shadow but then i lose the shadow on the wall and then i think to myself okay i should have moved the camera to the right so that he's closer to the center, but then I lose the bike on the wall in its entirety as well. <laughs> right. You see what I mean? So like this, yeah. this is a really good example of the kind of struggle that I was having two with things. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're ba- you're cause you're balancing the two things, right? Yeah. It's tough. Right. And then, and then the second image um, I linked in our chat is a picture of uh, it's, it's a temple I, that, that link failed. That was just, well, you've seen this one. It's in a temple, Right. Yeah, um, and it's it's basically like uh, a bunch of I- incense that's burning on the ceiling, and some light that's pouring in through the roof. And I, and I mentioned in the thread in our Facebook group that I actually think this would have worked better with a digital camera, because the thing I was struggling with, first of all, from a TLR design point of view, was the light was dappled, right? It was just kind of pouring in, but getting broken up by the incense. So when I was looking through the viewing lens, I had to keep looking at the front of the camera to make sure there wasn't like a stray sunbeam on the taking lens that I wasn't seeing through the viewing lens, right? Mm-hmm. But, but secondly, on square at this distance, I had no idea how to compose this image um, <laughs> because you have the digital shot in the comments where you can see all the light pouring through and like the entirety of the scene in wide angle, right? But for square, I was, I was completely lost. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I, I'm not going to give you tips on that particular shot, but certainly, I mean, my my take on all all, all of this is I'm I'm I have a certain way of shooting with with uh, a rectangular image, and I mm-hmm. largely stick to that way of shooting, and it's quite easy for me to do so. Uh, but when I when I shoot square, it all goes out of the window, and all I'm really concerned about is balance and shapes. Um, 
and it's a similar kind of thing goes on when I shoot large format because when you look through a, a screen on large format and this has been mentioned quite quite often but you look through a screen on large format um, unless you're looking through a, a large format SLR you're, you're looking at a reversed screen so it's upside down and back to front and mm. that can be quite disorientating so it's you, you yeah. start putting rule of thirds into something like that and it starts to hurt your head or it does mine and I then start to look at you know, the overall balance of, of, of the image and where where the strength is what spot is the image about is where to put that person or thing or object and uh, just to make sure that it's it's all in the right place and this is actually a chat that we we, we were having um last week i think it was and um and yeah so so it all becomes about balance and i think that that particular shot yeah there's it's it probably doesn't quite hit the mark in terms of balance uh, mainly right. because you've got something things going in and out of the frame and it, it makes it difficult to do that but what i what i do find difficult with square because i enjoy using square mainly because you know it frees me of the rules and i don't mind putting something in the center if i want to i can do whatever i like with it um the bit that i find difficult is negative space um, yes. if i want to use negative space that's something that troubles me because i lose all the balance um, but I yes. know that I might want it to go in there, and I know that Johnny, um, you've got some got some thoughts on how to how to manage negative space in Square. Well, that, I, you know, just kind of going back to the book um, that I mentioned because he sums it up really well. Uh, but I mean, he, he what he said is he 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 started Fritz Henling said he didn't he started his career shooting an eight by 10 view camera, which is, you know, golden ratio rectangle. Right. Um, so he, he understood how to, how to compose on the ground glass and everything like that. But he said, it, it never occurred to me that the square picture would be a drawback. He says, I thought of it as I thought of it instead as a horizontal extension of a vertical picture and a vertical extension of a horizontal that is, and as in addition to, and not subtraction from. Mm. So, that's what I mean about about thinking about just using all the space effectively. Like I'm looking at those photos, Perry. Like the the one on the the guy with the stairs is perfect because you've got you know the stairs kind of receding up, yeah. and you've got a second figure, but they're on a diagonal across the frame. So yeah. there's a strong it's de it's sort of your main subject is decentered, but then you've got a diagonal running across the frame that works perfectly. Right. And that's um, the balance that yeah, I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. And then you've got the guy walking down the street who's more or less centered directly in the frame, single point perspective, easy. It, that's mm -hmm. like Kubrick, right? So single point perspective, bam, dead on, got it. No problem. Then the guy, um, the, the butcher guy, same sort of thing. You've got the, the, the meat around him is framing him and he's just slightly off to one side of the square. It's a really quick read and the, you know, the framing works really well. Yeah. And, and, and the, it, for that one, the reason I put him slightly off is because he's looking that way. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. He's looking across into more into that space as is the guy on the stairs. Mm -hmm. And then to me, the one with the bike, what I, what I see with that one that could have maybe happened differently is that if the frame had shifted more to the foreground rather than the space above him because mm -hmm. the space above him isn't really doing as much, but I see that shadow just in front of him. Yes. But, yes. Right. So it's like, all right, if you had shifted instead of thinking of it as negative space above him, mm -hmm. if you had 
shifted down below his head, like let's say like where that sign is that says footbridge, maybe right to there. Yes. Then in the foreground would have been activated by the shadow and everything right. would have been like perfectly balanced, right? I was just going to say, if I can just interject, that, that shot, if you were using a, a conventional 3 by 2 camera, I think you would have Perfect. effectively have achieved the same shot that, that John is saying that you should have taken, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. You yeah. Know, the, yeah. I, I was going to say, yeah, except you wouldn't on a 3 by 2 I don't think you would have gotten – you would have gotten probably most of the shadow in front of him. Yeah. But what would have happened on a square is you would have gotten – some negative space in front of the shadow because he had a little more room to work with. And now all of a sudden it becomes about the man and the shadow because right. you're accentuating it with just a little bit more open space. Whereas on a three by two, I think it would have, it would have cropped it really tight and it would have just been a picture of a dude. It would not have been the space or like the, in other words, you, you, the shit, this is one thing I love about like black and white photography it stops being the thing in the picture. So it stops being a picture of a man in a bicycle and it mm -hmm. starts becoming a shape made by the man in his shadow, which is two completely different things. Right. Yeah. Um, so I could see that shot working really well that way. And it's funny. I was like yesterday I was shooting um, the same sort of stuff. And I, I actually had a moment where I struggled with exactly the same sort of thing on four by four. And I realized that the shot was not about the thing. It was about the shadow of the thing and the thing right. itself turning into one shape. And you know what I mean? So yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah. So, so to me, that's like, it's what, you know, the Heinlein quote that I just read, it's an addition to rather than it's like not trying to fill up negative space. It's, it's an addition to the shot that kind of makes it complete. No, this right. is this is really good because, um, you know, I, I think this is why there's often merit to sticking with one camera and format because yeah, yeah. these kinds of decisions, like you want them to happen really quickly, right? Right. And when right. this guy was walking towards me, my thought process was, I had to think really quickly, right? right. And I, I still remember <laughs> when I took the shot. It's this dude is walking towards me. He's in the. Sh you can see the shadow like starts right behind his foot. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm like he's walking towards me. He's just about to walk into the light. So I got to take a picture of him like the moment he steps into the light with his bike. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I saw the shadow in the back wall and I was like, I want to include that diagonal shadow in that bike. And I wasn't thinking about his shadow on the ground. Right, but, right, right, right. The, I think the other thing that stopped me from including that in the frame is tilting a TLR downwards is a really unnatural movement. Yeah, right. That's true because you're kind of like... Because then you have to lean forward. You have to lean right? forward. Right, right, right. Right. Yeah, so like when I was shooting those people, pictures of people swimming um, from above with a TL, that was like the worst tool for that job. Right, right. <laughs> because I was right. like almost falling into the ocean, leaning over to try to frame them. You could, you could always go on a diet and then that would solve that problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. So in, to some degree, that's where like using the – getting really quick with a sports finder. Yes. That's where it becomes – really helpful because when you when you use a sports finder now the camera's out in front of you further and you can tilt it in towards your neck much more easily without kind of shifting your weight if that makes sense yeah yeah <laughs> right because now you can look down and the camera is just kind of like looking down with you as opposed to trying to keep your head over the viewfinder and now you're like leaning forward and you're it's a becomes really awkward right um so yeah that that to me is like a, one of those like 
sports finder moments <laughs> um, for exactly that reason, because you can, you can, you've got more range of motion that feels natural because the camera's out a little bit further forward. Um, yeah. If that makes sense. But, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, these are like, they're really great shots. It's just like that one, you know, that it's like, okay, so the one shot that was, that you needed to have the quickest reaction to, and you can see that you, you really kind of nailed it because you have them just coming out of the shadow. Right. But it's like, right, I was right, thinking about the timing more than. Yeah, exa- exactly. Exactly. And then, and then, but if once your brain is in that zone, your composition would, would probably have happened with less conscious thought going on just because you're seeing in the square. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I think what you said about sticking with the format has a lot of validity for exactly that reason. Like it's part of the reason that I, one of my favorite cameras to shoot is the, uh, uh, the, the pen F half frame, mm-hmm. but I have to make such a commitment to seeing in half frame and then really to seeing in pairs in half frame that I can't shoot any other cameras yeah. <laughs> when I'm shooting the pen F half frame. It's like the only camera I can shoot and I have to do it for like a month or nothing works. And I just haven't been able to make that kind of commitment to that camera, or that format for a while. So I haven't been shooting it. Um, but I, I need to like, just pick a month, like last, it, actually last August was going to be pen F month for me and it didn't happen. And now it's August again. So it's been a year since I've shot over a year <laughs> since I've shot that camera because I've been shooting, you know, four different cameras at a time versus one camera. And that's, to me, that's sort of the drawback of doing that. Um, is you, there's something to be gained from sticking with one format, especially even if it's more than one camera in the same format. Does that make sense? Um, oh yeah. 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 No, I think, I think it works better that way because you know, having multiple cameras in the same format, you can switch around focal lengths or film types. Right. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but a couple of weeks ago, um, I thought it would be fun to go out with, uh, with my roller cord, like before I got the roller flexes, I thought it'd be fun to go out with my roller cord and my X pan. Yeah. Um, cause it's like completely oh, the format. <laughs> It, no, it, I didn't take a single photo with my X Pan. It made no sense. I was gonna. <laughs> that was gonna. That's like format. That's like format deathmatch. There's like no happy medium there. Like you, it's such a huge switch. Exactly. It's funny, it's funny you say that, Perry, because I, so I've been carrying around, um, the I you know the Sawyer's Mark IV, so a four by four square, and then yeah. the other camera I've been shooting with it is the snapshot scopar. So it's a 25 millimeter wide angle, but not panoramic. In other words, right. like I had been carrying around the 21 millimeter and shooting it in pano, but I didn't even consider doing that with the four by four. Cause it was going to be such a brain s- screw that I didn't want to even go there, but it's actually the, the, like the wide angle and the square, like I can switch between those really easily. It's actually, you know what I mean? If anything that makes me realize how not wide angle, the, the four by four is like, it's Mm -hmm. actually, you know, it's actually, I feel like it's less wide than a Roloflex. I don't know if that's true. I should look, look up the math, but I feel like the four by four with the 60 millimeter lens is much narrower than the Roloflex six by six with the 80 millimeter lens. And I might just be making that shit up. 
uh, because the ground glass is smaller. I don't, I'm not sure, but Wait, I, it's, a, it's a 60 millimeter on a four by four, right? Right. Yeah. That's a little bit longer. Yeah. yeah. And it's, to me, it's really noticeable. Like I have, like I was shooting something yesterday, like I was switching back and forth between the 25 millimeter and the square. And I had to keep backing up and backing up and backing up to make the square shots work. And it felt much like, I don't think I would have had to do that with a roll of flex. I would have gotten pretty much the right angle of view in the same spot that I was standing at with a 25, but I really felt it with the little four by four. Um, so, but, it, but the square itself was not a, significantly painful shift from the wide angle two by three, if that makes sense. Right. They, they, it's like, it kind of worked together pretty well, but I, no way would I have tried to do that with the, with the, with the panoramic. It just would have, there's just no way. (laughs) Yeah. I've, I've at times carried a Ricoh GR in my pocket alongside the, the Rolleiflex. Yeah, and it's pretty easy to switch between them. Yeah, um, like the GR for the quick shots, and then the roll flex for everything else. But they, with the X pan, it was just like the rolly was around my neck, and every time I took the X pan out and brought it to my eye, I was like, "Whoa, the world does not make sense right now." Right, because exactly. the forty-five millimeter lens, the horizontal is pretty similar, but it's like you've just taken the frame and like stretched it, you know, like like Goatsy style, just all the way you stretched it all the way out. Do yeah. not Google that, by the way. Do not. <laughs> Under any circumstances, Google what I just said. And what was that you just said? Just just for the notes. It's just uh, it, it's goatsy. Goatsy. Is that is that like bukake, but not way far worse. Oh, really? Far worse. Cool. Yeah, you might want to just censor this entire portion. Because um, <laughs> no, I think listeners- I think that means we want to use goatsy in the title of this episode. Some of our listeners are going to Google it and they're never going to listen again. <laughs> um, well, I, I know. I, well, I've, I've already um, paid the price for Googling some, uh, for clicking on a link that Johnny once sent to. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's like the only thing you're getting now, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Goatsy. Awesome. Yeah. This is a square Goatsy episode. <laughs> all right anyway so so disclaimer do not google that listeners uh and if you do do it at your own risk don't, <laughs> don't blame me it's it's 11 30 p.m and my things come out of my mouth not goatsies um but yeah i mean so so the, the shooting and the, the composition like this is such an interesting conversation oh my um, god <laughs> yes yes he went oh. there he oh. went there no <laughs> yeah oh dear <laughs> so Perry, the answer to your question now that I've seen this is you need to little make a little mask for your uh, square pictures mm-hmm. that has the opening with the hands, and then everything will look perfect in square format. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> now Simon will not only have anal beads showing up in every search he does, <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm I'm still I'm still in recovery at the moment. Yeah. Uh, oh man! So uh, anyway, so yeah, close her up. Back to the square. Um, yeah, I, so the only, the only shot where it really felt like uh, the Rolleiflex wasn't the right tool was that that Temple Incense shot because it's man. But but that shot's awesome, dude. 
you you killed that shot. You killed it. You get. I mean, so can we go back to Perry critiquing Perry's photos? Um, here's why you killed that shot. All right. So I know you had to spend more time than you wanted to, but the light still works. So if if not having been there, you can tell us what didn't work about the shot, but all we have is a shot and the shot works. And the reason it works is I was looking at this. You see how you've got those four, uh, those four things in the foreground with the spirals around them, right? Yeah. They're incense. Yeah. Okay. So you've got those four things, but you have them shifted just on an angle. So you've basically got a square within a square, uh-huh. but then you've got a diagonal lines breaking the square up in two directions. You've got the horizontal lines tilted up right going across the frame and then you got the vertical lines coming down into the frame and then you got that that, Mm -hmm. yeah and then you got that blob of darkness in the upper right corner but those little wispy bits of smoke floating up into that dark corner so actually it's like a perfect roloflex composition it's a perfect square composition and i know you struggle with it but your your instinct took took you must have taken over at some point because you made that off-centered square within a square and it's like the perfect use of the format for that picture. So to me, this shot works really, really well because you've got all these lines kind of going out, like carrying out of the frame at two directions, but you've got a square in the middle of the frame that keeps your eye grounded in the middle of the frame. So it like, it does exactly what you would want a square composition to do in a really, really good way. Right. I, I think there were two things where number one, I I couldn't really see um, because it was so heavily backlit and so dark inside that all I could really pay attention to was where's my focus point and yeah. where am I where am I putting these things in the frame? Yeah. Whereas the, the digital image that I put in the comments, like that's what the scene kind of looked like. Yeah, but that's, but that's boring. That's just a documentary photo. You you made. With this photo, you made like that's why people were asking. Oh, I don't know what's going on, but I like it. It's like it's a photo. Stop worrying about what it is you're looking at. Stop like trying to put a label on it and just look at the picture. And that's what works so well about this is you don't know what's going on, but the composition totally works. The light's really cool. You've got this wispy smoke thing along with these really harsh angles, right? So it's mm. like it's got all these good things working in it. And the fact that you couldn't see what was going on in the corners, I mean, that's just shooting on a Roloflex. Like uh, that's going to happen all the time. But you be, I think you begin over time to just kind of know what's going to fall in the corners, even when you can't see them, if that makes sense, because uh. you're just you're, you're so used to using that format. So you had a, it's like you took a really good square roly picture and you had to work harder at it but that's only because you were you're not fully immersed in the format yet but you still did all the stuff right and it worked does that make sense yeah thank you i think i think i think what i um on reflection what i wanted was like the light rays to be more prominent in terms of how they spilled out outwards yeah sure here they're kind of all over the place right um, so that's what I was struggling with. I was like, I, I can't figure out where to put this camera to get the light rays to do what I want them to do. But I can yeah. see it with my eye and I can see it when I take a picture with my phone. And right, so that's right. why I felt like, I mean, I, I really like this final image, but it, it I don't remember thinking about it like this when I was shooting it, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So you, 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 you fought your natural, 
you were fighting against the thing that will become second nature the more you right. shoot. Or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's, I mean, to me, that's what I'm hearing and seeing from your description of what it was like to take the picture is like your, your, your perceptual side wanted to have it all work, fall into place automatically, but your brain was kind of like taking over about all the things you wanted it to do. And ultimately you still got the same picture. You just had to work harder at it. Right. So, okay. but that's okay. That's cool. That's yeah. Just- Simon, have you? Are you okay? Yes, um, <laughs> um, I've, I've, I'm, I've just about, uh, just, just about uh, got over that. I was actually just reading an article about a camera I'm going to be talking about later, and for some reason, I'm now reading a line just jumped out at me, which is called backdoor loading. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so uh, I, I, it's like everywhere I look now, I'm getting reminders. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, um, yeah, I, I'm done unless unless you guys have other stuff to say about square composition and rollies. Yeah, well, well, I think I think we should go go over to uh, to Chicago uh, for for decency and uh, and, oh, and, and Johnny Sisson. Wow, that's going to be a big fail. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so yeah, no. So the highlight of my week really has been. Uh, yet literally yesterday I was talking about when I was shooting yesterday, I was shooting the four by four square and the snapshot scope bar. So that's been my pair here, my carry around pair for the past week, but I really got to use them both a lot yesterday, um, which is really cool. And so I've got this thing going on uh, subject matter wise. That's really, I feel like is, weird but it's kind of falling into place now which is i've i've been shooting a lot of cars and i i I don't i don't like cars i'm not a car person i don't own a car i'm not i don't particularly think they're all that cool um but but chicago is full of like these shitty cars everywhere that are parked on the side streets that are all you know messed up and then um in in my kind of area of the city, there are a lot of like little, like ghetto mechanic repair shops, um, and typically it's like a this it's like an ancient little standalone building, with a parking lot in front of it with a bunch of crappy cars, in various stages of you know, disassembly and destruction. So there there are all these really interesting messed up cars, um, around my my part of town and. I've just gotten like, I, I don't know. I think maybe it's because I haven't been able to do street photography for so long. Like I'm used to walking around and shooting people. Um, and I feel like the cars have become like a stand in for the people in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been, I've been shooting all these cars parked on mainly parked on side streets. And it's been like this project that I've been talking about with the Novak. Cause the Novak, the Novak can shoot cars. The Novak knows cars. The Novak can shoot cars. And I have, I really struggle with shooting cars um, because I don't know, I don't know like what angle to use. Like I, I'm always like, feel like I'm not getting the composition I want. So the Novak told me to get low and I'm like, oh, that totally makes sense. So now I'm shooting everything, all these cars from like low angle and like with the roll it with the, if the, with the TLR, I can just set the camera on the ground or on a little mini tabletop tripod. So it's like, 
you know, four inches off the ground and it's perfect. Um, so that's been my big excitement is figuring out like how to shoot cars and mm. shooting them both with the square format. And then the other, so the other great advice I got from another, um, car person, uh, and this was actually, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of weird, but, um, so this guy's name was Ralph and he worked at central camera and Ralph looked like he was about 90 years old, but he was about 70 years old. He had had, he'd had a rough life. Um, but he was a very interesting guy and a, and an interesting photographer. And I remember him saying, uh, to me that 24 millimeters was the perfect focal length for cars because it gives you just enough room to get everything in the shot, but it doesn't distort because 24 tends to not distort like 28. Right. So I'm like, that totally makes sense. So I basically got these two car photo cameras with me, the square and then the 24 and the square guy can shoot really low and the 24, I can get not quite as low, but get these perfect angles. So I have like this car thing going on. So I was, I was shooting these, uh, broken down cars yesterday at this repair shop and you know so every time i do this i send pictures to mike novak and kind of get a thumbs up from him or a thumbs down uh and he really liked the ones i did yesterday so i i'm kind of shooting them like on my phone as proof of concept for the film shots i'm gonna do but it's kind of fun just to shoot them on the phone too because it's just it's you know, it's quick and easy. It's like instant gratification. Um, so I've got this little like thing developing where I've got all these pictures of cars on my phone. And then I've got the film shots that are going on at the same time. But I got a, I got a couple yesterday that I just, I really felt like in the zone with it for the first time. So I, that was sort of super exciting. Cause it's, it's like a, it's like a subject matter that I've, kind of been interested in but at the same time always struggle with and i'm feeling like it's kind of working now mm-hmm. um so that's a kind of a, a good a, a good feeling that it it's not as much of a struggle to kind of get what i want from shooting that stuff if that makes sense um so i did that and i had a i had a wander around up by the north branch of the chicago river um just like scrambling around on these uh, riverbanks and stuff, trying to take photos and look for, look for stuff along the riverbank. And um, just a really, it was just a good day. It was just, and I felt pretty good. I didn't like, I didn't get so exhausted uh, that I had to stop what I was doing a bunch of times, which is a good feeling for me as opposed to most of the rest of this year. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I had a productive photo slash life day yesterday. Um, and I just feel like I'm shooting more than I have been uh, in the recent past, if that makes sense. Um, but, but I guess shooting the square again has been really um, kind of inspiring. And as much, as much grief as I give... Uh, Cheyenne about the Sawyer four four by four, which is it's all just mainly to give him grief, because um, it really is a it, it really is a nice little camera, with a very nice screen. Uh, it's really really bright. It's really easy to see. So um, so yeah, I've been shooting that camera and really enjoying it. Oh, and 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 my I 
so this is like one of those little things, you know, you know how they're just little things in life that get on your nerves. Right. Um, and one of mine is looking out my windows and seeing a line full of, uh, I'm just trying to think the nicest way to say this. Um, so I had these neighbors that lived in the garden apartment here that were from Indiana and they were like from Indiana. So every time I looked out my window, I was reminded that I was living in close quarters with people from Indiana. And the, <laughs> and, and the reason I knew that is because they had five cars in the driveway and like one was a red Mustang and the rest of them were like gigantic American vehicles, like truck vehicles. And it was very American and it was very Indiana American because I don't know. A Mustang is the biggest like mullet car in the history of cars. It's like a, it's like a car. That's a mullet. It's, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, I, I don't even know how else to explain. It's like a brainless muscle car. Right. Which is like what a mullet is, which is like what the entire state of Indiana is. It's a mullet. So it was just, to not like wake up and look out the window and be annoyed by the fact that Indiana was in my driveway is a really, really good feeling. So wander Indiana. Well, I'm trying to remember all the, um, the, the little sayings about Indiana other than the fact that it's like clan Deanna. Cause like the Ku Klux Klan is huge in Indiana. Um, so anyway, I don't, I've had a lot less Indiana in my life the past few days and it feels really, really good. So, um, Simon, you, you've talked before about being like into cars, but never really photographing them. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm the same way I, I, well, I'm not really into cars, but I don't photograph them either. But when I do, I think the thing that I find interesting about photographing cars is, uh, just the way that like tones, um, reflect off the metal. Like that to me is the most interesting thing about shooting cars to as opposed to anything about you know showing off specific models or things like that right and i don't know johnny if you found that like oh yeah the, the way the light falls off a car can be super cool oh yeah 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 that's 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 part of what i was yeah that's part of what i've been enjoying about it is the the the, the reflections and the strange shapes and stuff i was yeah. i was just i always just struggle with the right angle and getting the like how much of the car to get in the frame and getting the right angle um, right. but yeah, the reflection thing is really cool because it can get really abstract. Yeah. I was, I was listening, I was sorry, watching, um, <clears throat> something on YouTube this week and it was, uh, a, a chap called Gordon Murray. Um, I don't know if that name will mean anything to, to, to either of you. Um, but he is the, or he was uh, the, the main designer behind the, the McLaren F1, uh, which was a nineties road car, which was, it just came out of the blue and was just like the the, the fastest, greatest thing you you could have uh, yeah. back in the day, and, uh, and the things are like worth about twenty million pounds uh, these days. And uh, he's just he, he's not with McLaren anymore. He's been uh, doing his own thing for for years, but he's he's just uh, launching a a new car that effectively is the the spiritual successor to the F1, and it's called the. Uh, um, Gordon Murray Automotive T50, and this uh, this, this YouTube um, 
clip, or it was not really a clip, it was like 45 minutes long, uh, but he, he talked about uh, what he didn't like about the original F1, and part of that was down to the way that they, they used to model the cars back in the day, which were done in clay, mm. and then you signed it off in clay, and then, hey, presto, you got what you made in clay. And the problem was with making it in clay that you didn't actually get like a lot of the, the reflections, so you didn't really know what the light was going to be doing. Uh, to 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 cars until you've more or less made the thing, and uh, and and that was one of the things he was saying about the McLaren F1, the, like the rear deck of it. Is he, he said it was too flat, and he didn't know that at the time, hmm. and uh, and he put a lot more effort into that area of this this new car specifically to get those uh, those reflections and the, a more muscular look to it. So what I find interesting there is like a lot of the shapes you see on modern cars. Um, are put there because they can be done now, whereas they, they just couldn't be done. They couldn't be visualised in, in 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 a way with the old methods, or you, or you required a, a, a lot of talent to actually do that. Um, but yeah, it's it just interesting that a lot of those shapes and uh, uh, reflections and how they are, they are actually there quite you know, very deliberately, including the subtle ones. Yeah, that makes sense. That's interesting. I I heard a story like that about. Um, the Cadillacs, and I don't know what models of what are, they all look the same to me, but there's this model of Cadillac. Um, it's, you know, they're just old rich dude cars, basically, but um, it it's, I don't know, it seems like they're only always black, and they, they're very angular, and the back, like the trunk part, like the back of the car is like this weird bump out, it's like angled towards the center. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? And, all right. Anyway, the long and short is uh, the designers of this car modeled it after like the stealth fighter, which is such a disgustingly American thing. Like I, I re- reflexively want to take a shit on that car. <laughs> I want to like pull my pants down, shimmy up on the hood and take a shit on it because it's so it's so utterly annoyingly like disgustingly ugly American. Right. So it turns out, I guess, when this car first came out the Chinese market didn't like it because it was too, there was like, it was like that it was too angular or something. And it was like not selling well in China, apparently, which to me now I'm thinking it probably sounds great because I don't know. I would think that maybe the taste on it has changed, but it's interesting. It's like, so the design of it, it was so culturally specific that it didn't connect in other places. Um, but it was all designed for the angles, like what you're saying, Simon. It was it was like specifically about having like that stealth fighter look. Yeah. So kind of like that, you know, for old guys whose dicks don't work anymore. I'm gonna guy. I'm gonna get this car and I'm gonna look really badass or whatever, like a stealth fighter. It's like no, you're gonna look like an old man in a stupid car, but you know, have at it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's that that design consideration makes a lot of sense. I I mean, what you just said, Simon, the fact that modeling it in clay not being able to see those reflections that totally makes sense that's really interesting it's it's super cool to me that um they think about how a car might sort of be photographed when they're designing the overall aesthetic well that's that's really cool (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) i'm not not sure they think it's specifically about the photos but but i think it's a case of is a is a just as you're walking around the car if you, you know if whether you be potentially purchasing the car or you just want to show off aspects to the because yeah, it's a supercar at the end of the day. Um, I think they just just want to 
make full use of every bit of real estate that they have. Mm-hmm. Well, so, I was just going to say... You've been- Oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, well, I think I think um, Perry. I think we're thinking on the same lines here because we we've we've had information about you, uh, Johnny, uh, doing doing something. Uh, uh, oh, really? Re- recently, yes. Um, Did it involve Cadillacs and Goatsy? No, 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 oh. not, not, not not at all. And per- Perry's got the inside information on this, so well. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I I am told uh, by an acquaintance of yours that you have been secretly shooting. Uh, digital this week uh, and heaping praise on a 28 millimeter Pentax f3.5 lens and you seem to have forgotten about this oh was I, was I doing that so did Robbie just rap me out is that what happened <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Robbie you just got back from vacation when did you have time where did you have find time to rap me out on on this <laughs> you've been driving dude <laughs> No, uh, yes, this is this is true, um, and I know this is true because the lens is sitting here on my table in front of me still, which means I've had it out in my hot hands. Um, but yeah, no, I, I was talking about the the twenty eight uh, millimeter three point five uh, Takamar, um, which is a a really really special lens, like rendering wise and color wise, um, and uh, I had it. I hadn't, sh- I haven't shot it this way, but I had it at least attached to um, my uh, Petri Penta M42 body, and it's nice. But it's like that lens is the perfect size on like a Spotmatic, like it, it balances really well. But the that Petri Penta is just so, it's just a, it's a bit smaller, well, noticeably smaller overall. Um, and the lens feels a little bit front heavy on that camera. It feels a little bit big. Um, so I was talking about getting the 28 millimeter, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, DKL lens to, to shoot on that camera. Cause it's oh, nice. Kurt, to Kurtagon. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. Yeah. Because you were, uh, we did that comparison the other day where you, oh, yeah. compared, right. You had the, um, a shot from a Kurtagon and then you had a shot from, the it was a te- eighty-five mil teleauton. Yeah, exa- exactly. And the colors were like bang on between the two lenses. They were like you couldn't even tell them apart. <laughs> and 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 that had me inspired to want to get that twenty-eight millimeter uh, Kurtagon, right? To be able to shoot it. It's like the perfect lens size for that little Petri. Um, like the the twenty-eight millimeter that Kurtagon is just like the exact right size to fit on that camera. Yeah. Is that what I was talking about? Yes. The, okay. the okay. Pentax, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't answer the digital part though. No. Oh, no. I, 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 I shot digital. I posted them in the, posted them in the group this week. Oh, yeah. That's right. You've been shooting around with your Fuji. Yeah. I, I, I uh, took, that's right. To doing the Fuji night shots. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yes. With the flare. Yeah. With the flare. Flare. One eight seven seven flares for Simon. That one, right? Yeah. Yes. Well, actually, that that that's that's worth just going back to what you just mentioned about the the Teleartan and the Kurtagon, uh, both the DKL lenses. Was we were talking about this probably a couple of weeks ago, and I, <clears throat> I think we were going to talk about it on on the show, and then we we never we never did. Um, but it was it was this it was a great example of how 
uh, and I'll, sh I'll share the, the, the photographs in the Facebook group as well um, to, so people can see what I'm talking about. But I, I took uh, two shots in the same location. Um, I probably used a, uh, an extension tube on one of them just to, to get a similar kind of uh, focusing distance. And uh, so what was remarkable was just how similar uh, the two shots looked. Uh, looked, yeah. I mean, the only you could tell which was the eighty-five. You could tell which was the the thirty-five because they they've got a different angle of view on them, and they weren't taken exactly the same location. And you can tell in the outer focus areas which which is the long the longer focal length. But it wasn't that that wasn't really the remarkable thing. It was just the, how the how the colours were identically rendered, and yeah. and even more so how the flare was identically rendered. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's exactly really, the same thing. Yeah, it's really funny. I mean, it was like, yeah, you could, you could, it was exactly the same rendering, just a different focal length. It was crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and this is that thing about when, when you talk to cinematographers, how they, they like to use a, a range of lenses to keep consistency. Uh, but when so when they change the focal length, then they, they get right. a, a look that is the same. And to some degree i've 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 not so much been skeptical about that but i've 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 thought that it's been a little bit overplayed at times um but you i've you could absolutely see it um with this range so i i assume uh the some of the 50 millimeter lenses whether that be the xenon or xenar i don't know um would 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 behave in exactly the same way it's a shame I, I don't have those other two lenses anymore i mean i've got a 51.9 but i don't have the the 35 or maybe the 28 i can't quite remember which one it was um but it was just remarkable how completely different lens designs as in a a, a telephoto yeah. lens and a and a wide angle lens could behave so similarly it was quite quite remarkable yeah it was really cool and it's it, you know it really made me think like that that whole system like uh, it's a bad system i mean it's a <laughs> the whole retina reflex thing to me is like such a failed camera system that it's you know it's like they're taking a product line and just trying to make it survive in the market that was suddenly favoring slrs so i i don't feel like it's a successful product but the lenses are like they're way better than they have any right to be like the lenses for that camera system it's like a it's like a it's like a pro level lineup of lenses yeah. rendering and stuff why you know what i mean it's like on a camera that really doesn't even deserve to be that good mm. um they're excellent i mean just you know it just kind of to me it speaks to how how well schneider does stuff lens wise and kind of color wise especially yeah it just right i mean it's just it like goes together as this unit like you you know if you were like who is what professional photographer was walking around with a a retina reflex system as their pro system. Nobody, I don't believe anybody was <laughs> maybe like some dude in, you know, Nebraska was, but I, I don't believe it. You know, everybody by that time was shooting, you know, a, 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 a Nikon or a Pentax system or something. And those systems all speak to, and like OM, they all speak to how, how similar the lenses render across the line. But dang, man, the Schneider stuff was like walking the walk. Now, there weren't as many lenses, but what lenses they did have made sense focal. So not as many lenses, but the ones they made were great. And they obviously, you know, really put a lot of thought into how well they work together. 
Yeah, I think Snyder's are very much the the the, the bridesmaid, aren't they, of uh, of top quality optics? Yeah, yeah, they good they, good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, because there's they're excellent, and but they, they they just seem to get overlooked. I mean, part of the reason they get overlooked is the mounts that they you find them attached to, I guess, and DKL is it's, it's yeah yeah it's that yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. but the, the good news about decal though is that you can you can uh, adapt them to just about anything uh because yes. they've got one of the i think it's like the second longest folk flange focal length of any any system i think only like r is longer yeah um, so you can you can just about get a, a dkl lens on a on a nikon D, uh, dslr <laughs> yeah and you know it's weird too about the dkl stuff is they're so tiny that mm. despite the fact that they have this really long register distance they don't look weird because there's the lenses are so small like to me if i was going to put a like most nikon f lenses if i was going to adapt something like that to and you know again using my uh, Petri Penta as an example, like the lenses would look so weird on that camera, you know, yeah. they would look totally, totally bizarre, but the same lenses and the same focal length or the same focal length lenses, but they're the Schneider lenses for the retina reflex. They look perfect. <laughs> they don't look, they don't look overly big. You know, they're just like, they're just like these perfectly scaled down versions of those focal lengths. Well, but the, the flip side of that is, you know, when you, you when you adapt a DKL lens to another film camera mount, it's yeah. so beautiful and compact. But then if you adapt it to digital, the, the adapter is so ridiculously large yeah. as a result. Although I, I although I don't know. I mean the the, the adapter that I, I have that really nice um, they should be giving us like money because we t always talk about them so much. But the I have the uh, the 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 Yinan yeah, um, adapter, and it, the thing look—it just looks like part of the lens. It look—it's like so well designed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, they're great looking, and, and, and it's, not, the, it's, not, it's not that big though. Even it's, but I don't know. But it, it, I mean, relative—if you put it on like a mirrorless camera, just relative to the oh, thickness yeah. of the lens itself, it looks kind of ridiculous. Whereas if you put it on a film camera, it looks really natural. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah uh, for sure. Although with those adapters, if anyone is getting them, like the thing that you want, by the way, is 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 an aperture control that does not suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just suck. Yeah. So it's really bothering me. Speaking of Yunnan, I always like misplace my um, my M helicoid. So the M, the Leica M to Fuji helicoid. I have no idea where it is. I wanted to take it out the other night when I did those shots, and I cannot find the damn thing anywhere. It's like it. It's like it. It's like it fell into a goatsy hole somewhere, and it just disappeared. Yeah. I can't um, find it. A a a good uh, a a tip for um, adapting DKL as uh, as as well, because one of the the biggest drawbacks of DKL lenses are the enormous minimum focus uh, distances that you get with them. Um, yeah. and, and if you go for like a one three five, then you probably you know. I don't know if it'll focus in the same time zone. Um, <laughs> that was Carl always talked about that. Remember? Yeah, ex exactly. <laughs> and uh, so, but the, the beauty uh, of them is, yeah, you know, with them having such a, a long uh, focal flange distance, it's very easy to adapt them to M forty two. And then, if you once you've got something that that works with M forty two, then that also means, and this is if you're a 
um, putting things onto digital. Um, you can then attach it to a, a focusing helicoid, like a 17 to 31 millimeter focusing helicoid. So that in itself, it makes it easier to go from infinity down to a, uh, a minimum focus distance um, that's substantially better than it was to start mm -hmm. off with very, very easily. Um, so um, that's that's my way to do that, and and I'll just also add, if you do take a, a uh, one of these wonderful lenses, DKL lenses, off a uh, DKL camera, whether that be a Retina or a, a Volkswagen uh, Voigtlander uh, Besser, um, and you need the lens cap, well, I sell them um, on my website, um, which is SimonForsterPhotography.co.uk. So um, I can help you out with the lens cap for those. Um, Simon, can, can you get those in the attractive silver version? That's, that's that's you know what I've just started to make them in silver for people like Perry. Hey. <laughs> I have to say that that is your sexiest adapter to date, uh, Simon. Is the silver version? It does look good. Those, those things are awesome. Yeah, um, and just a just a quick one on and with uh, we have mentioned this before, but it's always always worth uh, mentioning it anyway. Uh, because DKL uh, works with two cameras, um, as in you have the the Voigtlander line, and then you have the the Kodak Retina line of cameras. Both of them use DKL mount, but the lenses are not the same, as in the amount is actually slightly different and it was done deliberately. So you can't use one lens on the other system. But the good news is that if you have an, ad an adapter for DKL, it'll work with whichever one, because there's a, there's basically, there's like a little notch on the lens. And uh, if you design the, uh, whether it be a lens cap or an adapter in a certain way, you can ignore that notch and then it'll work on both. Um, so if you want to use a Voigtlander lens on a, uh, on a Kodak camera, I'm pretty sure they just don't work. Um, you can only use them one way or the other. But like I say, if you're going to adapt adapt them, it doesn't really matter at all. Right. I, ca I can't believe we've actually been going as long as we have done and we haven't even got to what I've been up to. Um, which true. I'm thinking that we can put that off for, for another week. And instead, um, let, we've got a couple of emails. Should we do? Should we do those emails? Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Oh, so we're going to do email. Yeah, let's go for it. All right. Um, should, we, should we play some music while you go find them? <laughs> no, I actually have them right here. Um, so should we start with Jem? Yeah, can, can do yeah. it. That's the most recent one. It is, yes. Um, I just realized Jem's last name, in, a, in, in addition to the, you know, the other cool things about Jem, um, his last name looks like the name of a dinosaur. Did you guys ever realize that? because <laughs> there's the two a's and then there's the stroom so it, it reminds me of a dinosaur name it would just uh garnistrum right gem garnistrum it would just be like you could just take that name and put it give it to a dinosaur and it would be perfect it's a perfect dinosaur name what, what dinosaur names sound anything like that yeah i'm, I'm not with you on that johnny <laughs> all right i'll have to find some examples fine <laughs> Jem Garmistum. Garmistum. Um, Jem, thanks for writing us again. His subject, LTM lenses, August 17th. And he says, good evening, all. I hope you're all well. I recently picked up an old LTM rangefinder camera. Simon falls asleep, which I love the ergonomics on, especially for the tiny rangefinder composition windows. Um, except for, did I say that? Except for the tiny rangefinder 
slash composition windows. I'm thinking that to shoot it, I'll use an external viewfinder and a nice wider lens anywhere from 21 to 35 millimeters. I would like to know which lenses you'd recommend if I don't want to break the bank. And yes, I know this question won't interest Simon, who's already fallen asleep. Correct. So to him, I will ask which of his new contacts SLRs is his fave and why. Stay safe, Jem. Do you want to go first, Simon? Oh, With the just, second part? He's just throwing me a bone, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, okay. Um, contacts RX, contacts AX. Oh, and Y as well. Okay. Um, contacts, the, the contacts RX is probably my favorite. Um, I had a contacts 159. It was like the, the second SLR I owned. And I think it was just a, a wonderful camera uh, back in the day. And uh, when I recently got back into uh, contacts cameras again, I bought an RX and I just think that the, it's just a perfect camera in terms of the way that it handles um, the, the weight of it, the, the build quality of it. Um, and obviously about the fact it taking you know, Carl's Zeiss lenses as well. Um, having said that, I tend to use the AX more than the RX um, because I'm still love, I'm still in love with the gimmick of, uh, of of the autofocus on a manual focus lens. Even though I'm not an autofocus person, I just I feel compelled uh, to use it. Even if it's just a case of just setting up the setting up the shot, and then I can fine tune it if I wish to. Um, so I find that really really useful. Um, and I also like the fact that it's effectively got a built-in extension ring as well. So uh, lenses that or have a poor minimum focus. So, I mean, yeah, if I wanted to use one of those um, DKL lenses, I can adapt it quite easily uh, to to M42, and therefore I could put it onto my um, AX, and then I could actually internally, uh, with a with a film camera, um, bring down the minimum focus. So it's all good. So I've I've I've, I've not um, I haven't got bored of that yet, and I'm putting up with the extra weight of it. So. Uh, there you go. So, so now we can get back to what you really want to hear. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, head over about uh, rangefinder stuff. All right, Perry. What do you, what do you think? And we and I'll preface this by saying we had a long conversation in the group this past week or so about twenty one millimeter lenses, I yeah. believe. So um, yeah, Simon, go chew on that bone. Uh, the I've actually made a list here first of lenses because he's asking anywhere from 21 to 35, right? Yeah, yeah. So I made a list of lenses that I think we've talked about quite a lot or like people know about. Um, and we can talk more about them. Uh, but I also have a couple more curveballs to throw out uh, as well. Because I, I mean, when it comes to LTM lenses, none of them are going to be cheap, right? But in terms of not breaking the bank, I think on the wider angle, you do have choices that are not like ridiculously expensive. So first of all, let's start with the Canon 35 millimeters. That's obvious, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like all of them except the 1.5 are not really going to break the bank and they're all pretty good. Uh, then you, and, and we can come back to any of these. And then the Voigtlanders, the 21 F4, uh, the 25 snapshot, the 35 color scope are the 35 1.7 Ultron. Uh, I think, you know, all those are all both reasonable in terms of price and quality. Uh, and then you got the uh, the Soviet Biogon copy that I don't really want to right. say. Uh, the Jupiter 12. Um, so I think those are the obvious choices from 21 to 35. Uh, but the others that I would just ch chuck out for consideration 
somewhat reluctantly because I don't have all of these yet. Um, but I don't think these are crazy expensive either. Our number one, um, the Nikkor 35, 2.5, and 3.5 uh, are not crazy expensive in LTM. And they are cute little lenses. They're very fun. They're very small, very compact. Um, they're on the wider end. Uh, there is the Rusar MR2 20 millimeter f5.6. Yeah, baby. Uh, and then the two other slightly exotic options I'll throw out there is um, the WA Cal 35 3.5, which is not crazy expensive and I think is just a gem of a lens. No pun intended, gem. Um, it's one of my favorites. Uh, and there's also this really interesting lens. It's a little slow, um, but it's very, very neat. And it has like Mickey Mouse ears. Uh, there's the Steinheil Ortho Stigmat 35mm f4.5, oh. uh, which can occasionally be found for very reasonable prices too. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that's, but that's, that thing's really hard to find, isn't it? Hard to find, but, you know, they pop up more frequently than you'd think. And they're, they, they're never that expensive. Um, they, they won't, they'll run in the same kind of price bracket as maybe the Rusar or something. And for something that rare, I think it's relatively reasonable. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's oh, my list of Dude, I'm looking at, uh, you're putting the Perry into the Perry here, Perry. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I'm looking at all those stigmats and they're all like $600 and up. <laughs> where, where are you where are you finding them just on ebay i bet they turn up like locally for you way more reasonably don't they nor the ones from hong kong because they're go kevin cameras yeah right okay <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they don't pop up that much that is a cool ass lens like the the fact that it's like i don't know sl slower and i mean it's like a great walk around 35 millimeter daytime lens Yes, it's it's more of a novelty though. I mean, it's got these Mickey Mouse ears that are just really funny looking. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. All right, that's great. Um, yeah, I mean, I and I I agree with your your um, your your choices there, Perry. Those are all definitely good. The Canon thirty fives, they're all, I mean, all of them are are good. The the Nikon's are. I feel like those Nikon thirty fives are getting more. Like they got really popular for a while and they were more expensive and it seems like maybe they've calmed down a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but those are cool. I mean, and they're, and they're tiny, like the yeah. 30, the 35 2.5. That's like one of my big regret lenses that we had in forever at central and I didn't get it. And it, it was nice. It's, that's a, I, it's a sharp little lens. I had that lens for night for Nikon S and I really was not very impressed with it, but the LTM version of it was really nice. Um, yeah. yeah, those are all good choices. So, yeah. And I mean, you know, my, my go-to for wides is definitely Voigtlander because they're less expensive and you get almost all the same level of goodness. Yeah. So you can't go wrong with the 21 millimeter Voigtlander and the snapshots go par. I just adore that lens. Yeah, so. the, the really tricky thing in LTM is 28 millimeter because yeah. I don't, there are just no cheap options. Yeah. Um, right. 28's a yeah. Except maybe the add on, but that lens sucks. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay. Uh, so the uh, I mean, are there any others here that you guys want to talk about? Or are we good? The Rusar is uh is a bit of a uh, sleeper, but that's a cool lens. Who got a Rusar? 
Who got a Rusar? Who got a Rusar? I got a Rusar. I got a Rusar too. You got a Rusar. Oh, I got a got one on the way. I got a Rusar on the way. So it should be here. It should be here this week. Uh, I was, you know, since I'm always up till four or five in the morning now, it leaves a lot of time for eBaying late at night. Uh, and a Rusar popped up, which it was not as cheap as the one Perry got, which was just unnaturally cheap. But in Rusar terms, it was a couple hundred bucks below what they usually go for. So I was really excited and I, I, I grabbed it. So it's, it's on the way. Um, and I have a camera body ready to go for that thing to go on to. So I can't it's wait. A, can't it's wait such a sweet it. lens. Oh man. I cannot wait to shoot that lens. I, I, it's, it's, that that's one of the lenses that's been on my like long-term want list for years. And I finally, finally one turned up. So, yeah, I mean, zone focus only, I uh, scale focus only, but it is tiny. But that's, I, I love scale, especially like, on, on that wide, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, even like the 25 Scopar is like, that's what I like about the snapshot thing is like, it's just, it doesn't matter. I mean, if you're, if you're even close and you're stopped down, it's all going to be in focus. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's awesome. All right. Um, okay. Should we move a for move a forward to, uh, Nick Marshall? Um, Nick Marshall wrote us on the 15th of August, and his subject is episode number 119, Kodak Metalist Heliar-style lenses. And he says, hello, CLP. I know Simon's favorite lens design is the Heliar, and you mention it in, uh, and mention it in many episodes. Perry was asking if the Metalist lens is the only medium format Heliar or if there are other SLR Heliar-type lenses out there besides Simon's Asahi Kogaku Takumar 58mm f2.4. Um, they may not be as rare as you think, he says, exclamation point. Here are a few I know about. Number one, any Pentax 100mm f4 macro lens starting from the M42 version and going to the manual focus came out versions, these would probably cover medium format, especially the Bellows version, since they don't have helicoids. Maybe Perry could try one out on his Pentax 6.7. That is a hell of an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he lists some links here to the different uh, reviews for those different lenses. Uh, number two, the Mamiya Secor C 180mm F45 lens for the RB67. The first version, non-C, and the Secor C versions are both Heliar design. The last, the KL version, switched to a Tessar design. One interesting thing about this lens is the shutter and the aperture both entirely behind the lens elements, not in the normal location. And we got a couple links there. Then is number three is the Mamiya Secor D and DS 105 F35 for the Mamiya C series TLRs. Mike Epstein mentioned these in episode 125. The original 105 lens is a Tessar design. Um, on a related, on an unrelated note, I was inspired to pick up a Horizon 202 a couple months ago. I haven't shot it uh, with the, have not. Wait, I haven't shot with it yet, but uh, the box tab on the back says it's loaded with Nikon HIE. Uh, I think the roll is mostly shot, but it, but 
it'll be interesting to see what's on it. Uh, I'll try taping a red gel over the front for any shots I can get out of it. Uh, keep up the great work on the podcast, Nick Marshall. Yeah, that HIE I'm thinking is probably, if it's been sitting in a camera for a long time, it's probably definitely dead. Um, I, there's a PS in that. I mean, you may, Oh, did you want me to read yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, go, go, go for it. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. Nick Marshall says, PS, this is uh, just a technical thing probably for Simon. I noticed that the CLP and LFPP files uh, are always much bigger than other podcasts. Well, you know. <laughs> uh, I know that they're often close to two hours long but I saw you're using a bit rate of 256 or 320 kbps kps I think that's kilobits per second kilobytes per second while the standard for most podcasts is 96 or 128 well pfft. yeah yeah um <laughs> How are you going to gape if you don't got the big? If you have fast and unlimited internet at home, this doesn't make a bit of difference. But I have to go to do uh, shopping or other uh, to shops or other place with free Wi-Fi to download podcasts and smartphone updates. So I often have to wander around the store waiting for my podcast to to finish downloading. He says. Yeah, that's a, and it's a good point, and it's something that was mentioned to me a while back, and uh, it's interesting how you mentioned um, bit rates of two five six or three twenty, uh, because I think initially I was doing it at three twenty, and then I managed to work out how to drop it down to two five six. Um, the, the simple answer is I don't actually know how to get it any lower, um, because of the and this is largely down to the way that. Um, the process that I record the podcast and then edit it as an MP3, and then I run it through a a program that levels the uh, the the audio, so we all sound at the same same volume, which is called Levelator, uh, which then outputs. Uh, actually, no, you've got to input and output it as a WAV file, which is enormous. Um, so when it, by the time it gets back into Audacity, which is what I used to do do things. Um, it, it's a really, really large file. Um, and so even though when you export it, it, it only actually lets me export it down as a minimum of 256. Um, so frankly, I just don't know how to actually uh, do a full, a smaller file size. Um, so if anybody's got some tips on there, because there might be just something else, I just need to run it through another feature in Audacity uh, to make it smaller. Then, uh, then that's that, that's fine. So, uh, if anybody knows how to do that, let me know, and I'll give it a go. All right, classic lesbian podcast, making it smaller just for you people who can't handle the big. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> all right. Um, is that was that all our emails? Uh, it's it. Well, just just let's let's go uh, up to the top of this one because we're talking about um, heliol lenses or heliol lenses. Oh right, yeah, heliol. And, yeah, yeah. And um, I just just before we talk about the the medium format stuff for for, for Perry, I mean, I, it was very interesting about the um, the macro lenses via Pentax, uh, yeah. the one hundred f four. And of course, having having saw that, having seen that, I've uh, immediately hit eBay. Uh, just oh, to me see too. These things to go. Yeah, they're, yeah they're, cheap. they're probably not expensive, right? Uh, the Bellows lenses. Well, not well. I, I must admit, I wasn't really looking at the Bellows ones, but actually, no, the Bellows ones are cheap. 
Yeah, because it's a bellows lens and nobody messes around with that crap anymore. Those are <laughs> those are nice freaking lenses, man. We used to have those at Central once in a while. Those are really nice lenses, and I'm positive they would cover medium format. Ah, now this one's yeah. The, the, there's one that's really cheap because it's got separation and it's cloudy and hazy, so uh, that probably explains that one. But then and then there's quite a jump. Uh, on wait, the, wait, wait, wait. What would define cheap? Because twenty-seven pound ninety-nine pence. Wait, what the hell? The cheapest one I'm seeing is like one hundred and twenty US dollars. Yeah, exactly. Well, this is this is a yeah. It's been sold for parts and it's got haze and Bolson separation. So you know, and it's still sitting there. You know, so uh, and then it and then it jumps. Um, I don't know two hundred. Well, if as far as a UK one at least, anyway, one hundred eighty four pounds is the is the next one. Um, so there's not really that much in between, unless you're going to pay a fortune for postage as well. And uh, I I wonder if KEH has these things like reasonable because they I, I'm actually surprised they're over much over a hundred dollars. Oh, there's an EX Excellent Plus 5 from Japan, which means it yeah. probably has been a doorstop for... That's yeah, the one I'm looking at. That's fungus. fungus. Yeah, but th that lens, typically they haven't been as expensive. Uh, what about this one? Here's one for $66. Let's see how bad this one is. <laughs> this one, uh, light fog, lightly foggy front. Which sounds like not bad haze. It sounds like it's like that smoky haze, no problem. But yeah, that's the I would expect these to go for definitely under a hundred dollars. And they're 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 really cool lenses too. So that's an interesting that's an interesting recommendation. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. All right. So, uh, well, and then obviously there's the you know. The medium for medium format. There's the Heliar on that uh, on the on the Bessa too. Mm -hmm. You know that six by nine folder, Perry. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, we rip that one off and put it on a Pentax six seven. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Perry Perry's been coming up against quite a lot of resistance. Um, from a from a big a, a rear guard action of folder fans. Folder is the goatsy of cameras. Oh wow wow! Too, too far. Oh my gosh! Wait wait, but but I you know among all this folder talk and our discussion of folders with Lyndon last week, I did come to a realization because you know. The whole ripping a Heliar off a of Bessa and putting it on a Pentax 6.7 is it's not really a joke, right? Because I, I think these lenses that I'm maligning on folding cameras get better when you take them off. Of a <laughs> <laughs> well, the, no, it's it's the folding cameras the problem. I mean that it's like the old it's like the old Kodaks. It's like when you take a um uh uh what do you call it a vest pocket Kodak lens and take it off the camera. They actually render pretty good because the cameras were shit and they all have light leaks. Even they were they had light leaks when stuff when they were new. They were just yep. garbage cameras. So it's like the lens is actually really pretty amazing if you take it off the garbage camera. And yeah. I mean it, but it's the same you know, most folders you find are not in great condition and they need probably a full 
rehabilitation to get, you know, to be shooting well and the, the focus right and all that stuff, which is kind of what we've been saying, which I think to your point, Perry, is you could find like a trashy body, six, you know, a folder and just rip the lens out. And now you've got a perfectly usable, really good lens that you could throw on anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the same as 35 mil, right? If you take a, if you, if you rip the Rodenstock Heligon off a of Kodak Retina, it's like one of the best lenses, I think. Right out there, yeah. but if you use it on a Kodak Retina, you're can we not can we talk some smack about retinas because then we could get a whole secondary group of people pissed off at the podcast. But but does anyone out there actually love retinas? I, I feel like there's a few. I feel like they're like Argus bricks. They like have their devoted following of people that that just adore them. You know, right? Well, okay. So so. I have a Retina 3S, the rangefinder, with the DKL mount. Yeah. And on paper, it's a beautiful camera. Like, the viewfinder is pretty nice. Right. It feels nice in the hand. Um, but but it's just so unnecessarily overcomplicated. Like, I can never remember how to change the ISO reminder <laughs> because you have to move two things at once. Right, right. And, and then the part that matters, the actual rangefinder coupler, like the cam, is just this, like, dinky little stick. <laughs> like this tiny little stick that sticks out inside the lens mount and so that part breaks all the time it's not accurate at all and it was like you guys over engineered every part of this camera except the part that matters you know yeah. the viewfinder is yeah. nice the advance is nice except it's on the bottom right of the camera well it's right? it's the same story with all the retina stuff they took out successful model line that was really simple and they kept trying to make it do these other things to keep up with like the market and it just makes the cameras these kludgy beasties and they're and they're kind of awful and it's so it's funny because i've been sitting here during the podcast i don't know if you've heard this in the background but i've been doing this and what i've been doing is firing i have this um kodak retina in my hand and the shutter was sticking i've been firing all the speeds like 50 times on each speed and now the shutter is working great except for like one second and half a second but i have a there's a tag on this camera because I got it at an estate sale about five years ago. And the estate sale was for this collector guy who was like a huge Kodak uh, collector. And the, the tag on this camera says retina one, 1937 to 39. And it's Stuttgart type 141, which to retina collectors means something because they did all these little sub models, but it has um, a five centimeter uh, 3.5 f 3.5 ectar on it so it's got a really really good lens on it oh, yeah. a really good lens uncoated and i've shot this lens the same lens off this camera like i i found like just the lens you know separate um and i have it mounted up in a helicoid and it, it's a really really cool lens but now this thing is working man and the viewfinder is kind of clean i'm gonna shoot this thing i'm gonna shoot this retina but it's, it's, it's nice because it's really simple. They don't, it, there's not anything extra on here. Like the most complicated thing on here is it has a little lever next to the viewfinder to manually advance the uh, film counter. <laughs> um, so you just push the lever each time you take a shot and the little wheel goes around. Um, I, think and I, I think I'm right in thinking that there's a way of jamming the camera if you don't do that right. I don't know if you've uh, that. It's 
Yeah, I, I, that's, I bet that that could happen, but I bet that it's probably the later models where that is more likely to happen because this thing is like dead simple. And it's got a little switch for advance and rewind, like a like a Barnack. Um, but that's it. I mean, that's all this camera does. And it's other than that, it's just, you know, it's got the push button. You have to manually arm the shutter, and then it's got a push button on the top to fire it. Uh, but that's it. It's super simple because it's old, right? It's like before they tried to like throw spaghetti against the design wall here and see what would work on this camera. And it's just simple. And I want to like put this in, put some film in here. And walk around with it this week. Wait, so, so Johnny, for for someone who dislikes Kodak Retinas so much, yeah, uh, how many Kodak Retinas do you own, and how did you end up with so many? So, the I have I have at least another six or seven of them, <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I have them is because at this said estate sale. Now, a couple of them I've just stumbled across for like basically no money over the years. But um, I at the same estate sale, I bought like half a dozen retinas because they all have, you know, they all have like Xenons on them, like 50 F2 Xenons. And I was thinking, oh, this is great. I'll buy these stupid retinas and rip the lenses out and put them on other cameras. But the problem is it's really, really hard to get those lenses off the cameras and like some folding cameras do that have, you know, the aperture kind of built in behind the shutter mechanism. It's really difficult to use them off the camera and adjust everything because it's got all that extra hardware on the back. Um, so it's not like just, it's not like just turning a jam nut and pulling a, you know, a lens off a lens board, like on a baller or something like that. Like it's more complicated, which I didn't realize till after I bought them. So now I'm stuck with these like a retina boat anchors that I need to get rid of. Um, but yes, I have, I have far too many of them that I, I, I just don't have any interest in owning them except for this one. This one is really cool. And it's even got a little focusing tab stick. It's even got a little, a little, it's got the little stick for the focus which is cool it's a little it's a little jumpy but it's working the, the real shame about those retinas is you know the ones with the like the beautiful xenar xenon and and rodensock helicon lenses yeah um it i think the real shame about them is like it requires it requires like metallurgy to remove those lenses it does exactly be like a 17th century blacksmith to get them off yeah you know and, and that to me is a real shame it would be it would have been nice if they just let you you know unscrew a retaining ring because that would be fantastic. exactly like i even bought um uh i there's one model of those retinas that has the 45 millimeter uh f2 ektar on it which is the biogon oh yeah that biotar yeah yeah the biotar and they and they go for they go for a lot of money and i yeah. and i famously bought one of these well, famously to me, infamously bought one of these many years ago when I had a real job that paid good money. Um, and I, I bought it to pull the lens off and started trying to hack the lens off of it and ended up with, you know, I'm Dremel tooling this damn thing. <laughs> and I ended up destroying the lens in the process of trying to remove it. Oh, no. Yeah, I still have the bits and pieces. It just the the like the rear lens barrel, like got it just bent and the glass fell out. It was an absolute disaster absolute disaster um 
and it, you know, again, because they're so overly complicated or whatever, it should have been a, it should have been easy, but no, it's got retina. Yeah, that, that lens is super popular for remounting the M mount here. Yeah, and yeah, they, yeah. They, right, and justifiably they, so. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. yeah. So, anyway. Right. Well, I guess uh, we'll start to bring things to an end there. Um, and yeah. I haven't quite teed up my thing. So, is there something you wanted to say there, uh, Perry? Uh, well, actually, I we can segue straight into it because my shout out links to this uh, the topic of this email in the previous one. Okay. Uh, as far as we're talking about Heliar lenses go. Um, so as we go into shout outs, I have a shout out this week to, uh, Jem, uh, Jem, whose surname, unlike Johnny, I'm not going to try to pronounce, uh, because make a dinosaur sound, <laughs> Jem T-Rex, just make um, a mast. I think I'm thinking of ma- like Mastodon for some reason. It's the, it's the, neither a dinosaur nor anything like, uh, I, I know I was, I, I was just thinking I was, I, I was meaning to say Mastodon and I was saying dinosaur and I, and I think it's the T, the R and the O on the end. And if there was an, an, an N instead of an M, it would almost be like a Mastodon. That's okay. Not, I can see that. Okay. That's what I was thinking. So just make a Mastodon noise. <laughs> all right um so i have a shout out to Jem because uh at some point in the last couple of weeks um after he sent that lovely email about visiting central camera he he sent me a message uh with a link to a local sale um someone was selling a bunch of lenses from his collection in uh melbourne and uh, i looked at all the things on this list and decided oh there's actually something on this list i really want uh, and so he has helped me pick up and will be hopefully sending to me when their Melbourne lockdown uh, eases a little bit, a 105 millimeter F 3.7 Kodak Ektar uh, lens, which is a Heliar. Um, not ripped off a folder though, but found on a speed graphic, I believe, but it covers 6.9. Nice. That's cool. Um, well, before we do any more uh, shout outs, I just want to say thank you to those people that have donated to the show. Um, not sure if I read this name out last time, so it's going to get read out twice potentially, and that's uh, Brian Woolworth. So thank you very much, Brian. Um, and we also have donations from Nick Marshall, who we've uh, just been reading a, a letter out from, and an anonymous person, and uh, Nigel Cliff. And uh, he has said, as a complete dunderhead, sorry, <laughs> A complete technical dunderhead, not just a normal one, just just on technical. Um, so as a complete technical dunderhead, um, I am always in, always in awe of Lyndon's knowledge. Um, so obviously referring to um, the episode last week with Lyndon. So um, thank you, uh, thank you all, and thank you, Nigel, uh, for, for for that. So uh, uh, Johnny, have you got any shout outs? Um, I, as usual, I'm sure I do, and I'm just not thinking of them. So sorry. Okay. Well, I'll I'll sort of do a similar shout out to to the one that you did last week, um, where you uh, did a shout out for Mike Gutterman. I'm going to do it for um, a co-host of the ne- Negative Positive Podcast, and that, right. that that being uh, Andre Dominguez, 
um, who apparently didn't fall asleep on your show. So he, so he, so he says. <laughs> so he says. So he says. Yeah, he was. He was quite adamant about it. And um, the reason why I was talking talking to Andre is because uh, only yesterday uh, we did a, a large format photography podcast podcast with a difference, as we did it uh, on Google Meet, and it will go out on YouTube later in the week. Um, but we had a lot of people. Um, uh, do effectively like a round table uh, because Andre came along and uh, he's new to large format and uh, he's got quite a few questions um, and so uh, myself and Andrew uh, did our best to answer but there were some really great answers from the assembled uh, great and the good uh, that, that were with us on that one so um, so thanks to everybody that took part and uh, uh, thank you for Andre for, for being a, a, a really good um, guest uh, for the for that type of show so uh, so that was great um nice. right so uh perry outside of the show how can people keep up with the things that you do uh you can find me on instagram and Flickr at perry g and i have just uploaded some of the uh rolleflex photos that we were discussing today onto Flickr. um so for those of you who are not in our facebook group that might make it easier excellent and johnny uh, you can find me on Craigslist, where I'm currently selling 10 packs of Fuji FP3000B black and white pack film. That's where you can find me. You don't, not selling any retinas as well? No, I, I, no, I should be. I th actually thought about uh, – I thought about uh, selling some retinas on – on Craigslist, I just can't be bothered. I just, I just can't be bothered. I because I would have to deal with people that want retinas, and they're going to be insufferable. Let <laughs> <laughs> me ask you questions. Oh, does this work? Does this work? I don't know. Just buy the freaking bull anchor. It's fifty dollars. Just take it and make it work. I don't know. Um. And so I will give a shout out to Hong Jun Lee, uh, regular listener and contributor to the Facebook group who actually picked up a couple of packs of my FP 3000 B. And I know he's been enjoying it. He's got a uh, Polaroid land 250, and he's, he's been taking some cool shots. He posted a, the shot uh, of his son that he shared with me that he shot on 3000 B. It was really, it was really cool. Um, I think he said his, his son was, uh, it was like the, his son being upset because he has to do his online uh, cello uh, zoom meeting or something <laughs> it's a really funny shot so maybe he'll share that in the group uh or not i guess it's a kid photo so you probably can't do that but it's a really it's a really good shot so hopefully he'll share some other shots that he shot on that film uh so shout out there and that's where you can find me as i'm i'm on craigslist selling film um and i'm on instagram somewhere and I'm on my front porch if you want to stop by and say hello. And if you want to buy some film, you can stop by and say hello and get the film at the same time. It's like a twofer. Um, if you want to contact the podcast, you can send an email to classiclensespodcast at gmail.com. You can, of course, visit the podcast, uh, the extra large, massive podcast. You can visit at uh, classiclensespodcast.com, uh, where you can also do amazing things like buy merch. You can get your make Bokake great again cap. You can, you can get um, t-shirts, all that good stuff at classic lenses, And of course, when you're on Instagram, 
visit Best Vintage Lens, uh, our partners over there on Instagram. How how are we doing on sales about uh, buying a red cap saying, uh, make bukkake? None of you some bitches has bought that cap yet. And and we've sold, I believe, the one camo bukkake cap um, to, I'm, yeah. uh, what's, his, what's his name? In uh, one so of the, the, one the Isle of White. Isle of White. And we're still waiting for a field report, which I would highly recommend if you send us that picture would be great because you're probably going to make like the, you know, the cover art for the episode if we hear from you. Is it is it not possible that... It might have, it, it may have bought it for other reasons, uh, and he's not actually a listener. Maybe that's you know I hadn't considered that. But I, I that makes me even happier actually, <laughs> because somebody's then buying it thinking it means something else, which is really great. Yeah. Um, for a camo bokake hunting, uh, which would that's awesome too. And you can send us that picture if you like. Also, I don't know if it'll make the cover, but. You can send it to us. Um, <laughs> I should just stop now. Yeah. This, this yeah. has been like our most inappropriate episode ever, I think. I, I, yes. Um, do, do not go searching for that thing that we... <laughs> yeah. yeah. That thing that'll be in the title of the episode. No, it won't be. It won't be. Then, again, then, then again, you've got access to the, to the website just as much as I have as well. So who, who knows what's going to happen? Um, yeah. Sorry, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it was all Perry. Just remember yeah. it was Perry. That's that's right. Yeah, Perry introduced this into everybody's lives. Um, okay, so uh, if you want to keep up with things I do, I'm on Twitter as Simon4. I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic, which is also the name of my website where you can buy lens caps and uh, what adapters I've, I've got left as well. Hey, do, you, do you have those lens caps in silver? All, I, I can make any lens cap in silver. Yeah, all, all body cap as well. Yes. Yes. All right. Yes, they look. They look good. Um, and also, actually, you can buy. Although I'm not sure if he's got silver, but I'm sure if you ask him nicely, yeah, Ben Kuto, the the Kuto Camera Company. Um, he is uh, my American partner uh, in lens caps. Um, so you can you can buy them from the Kuto Camera Pump Company, and he's got his own website. And also, if you look up Kuto Camera Company on eBay, you can find his eBay site there as well, um, and you can buy a lens cap off him. And if you ask him nice, I'm sure he'll make one in silver for you as well. Um, nice. That's so. I think that's it. Again, I'm sure I'm forgetting something, which I say every week. Um, our music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. It's called October Blues. And I hope you enjoyed this week's show. And uh, if you can, be like Carl. 